Hey, Connection, good to see you this morning. Thank you for being here. And, uh, of course, the question is, what happens when you die? And as you heard a few people infer, I don't know. How do you know? Matter of fact, somebody asked me as I was visiting with people in the lobby, have you died? And I said, no. Well, how can you preach this sermon? And I just grinned. and said, you've got to listen to the sermon. Wait a minute. Hey. Does anyone know what happens to you when you die? Think about that. If I had the privilege of hearing a pastor from the past, to be able to, to just sit and listen to him preach, the one pastor that I would want to hear is a man by the name of Peter Marshall. I just think what I know about his life, how he lived it, because sometimes it's easy to speak, but living it is something different. Sometimes it's easy to sing, but living it's quite different. Sometimes it's easy to sit in church, but living it is quite different. Uh, somebody asked me about the book of Ezekiel. What in the world does it mean? Y'all preach on Ezekiel. Well, let's see. Acts is 28 chapters. Ezekiel's 48 chapters. How many people want me to preach? No. <laughs> and so I've, I've spent some time reading Ezekiel. Because that person says, I just don't understand it. And uh, maybe I can do a four or five sermon series on Ezekiel. But uh, there's a chapter in Ezekiel where God says, you know, you're my people and I've made you lovely. I've given you clothing. I've made you beautiful, blah, blah, blah. And what would you do? You took it and you spent it on your family. You took it and you spent it on yourself. You took it and you spent it on your vocation. You took it and you bought things. And you forgot me. And that's detestable. That's detestable. That's detestable. I like Peter Marshall because in reading about him, he lived his faith. He didn't just talk about it. It's evident in what his wife wrote and some of you ladies, older ladies might have read some that his wife wrote. It's evident from his children's testimonies. You see, we can fool each other here on Sunday. You can't fool people who are significant in your life. But anyway, back to Peter Marshall. Peter Marshall died in 1949. That's the year I was born. 47 years of age. Why in the world? I am so impressed with this man. Not just his preaching style, but with his lifestyle. Why in the world would God allow him to die at 47? Peter Marshall had a lot of insightful thoughts about life and death. He told a story about a family that he knew. 
an experience of a mother with a dying son. Let me read it to you because I, I couldn't try to tell it as well as he wrote it. In a home of which I know, a little boy, the only son, was ill with an incurable disease. Month after month, the mother had tenderly nursed him, read to him, and played with him, hoping to keep him from the dreadful finality of the doctor's diagnosis. The little boy was sure to die, but as the weeks went on, he gradually began to understand that he would never be like the other boys he saw playing outside his window. Small as he was, he began to understand the meaning of the term death. And he too knew he was to die. One day his mother had been reading to him the stirring tale of King Arthur and his knights of the round table, of Lancelot and Elaine, the lily maid of Ashlot, and about the last glorious battle where so many fair knights met their death. She closed a book as her little son sat silent for an instant, deeply stirred. And then he asked a question weighing on his childish heart. Mama, what is it like to die? Mama, does it hurt? Quick tears sprang to her eyes and, and she fled to the kitchen. Supposedly to tend to something on the stove. She knew it was a question with deep significance. And she knew it must be answered satisfactorily. So she leaned for an instant against the smooth surface and breathed the hurried prayer that the Lord would keep her from breaking down before the boy. And that she would be able to tell him the answer. And the Lord did tell her. Immediately she knew how to explain it to him. Kenneth, she said to her son, do you remember when you were a tiny boy? How you used to play so hard all day that when night came you were too tired even to undress and you'd tumble into your mother's bed and fall asleep? Now, that was not your bed. It was not where you belonged. You would only stay there a little while. Much to your surprise, you would wake up and find yourself in your own bed in your own room. You were there because someone had loved you and taken care of you. Your father had come with big strong arms and carried you away. Kenneth, darling, death is just like that. We just wake up some morning to find ourselves in the other room. Our room where we belong. Because the Lord Jesus loved us and died for us. The lad's shining face, looking up into hers, told her that, he, that the point had gone home and there would be no more fear, only love and trust in his little heart as he went to meet the Father in heaven. He never questioned again. And several weeks later, he fell asleep, just as she had said, and Father's big, strong arms carried him to his own room. Now that mother, like many other individuals, tried to find words that would comfort 
someone in the face of death, someone she loved. And we all try to do that when we meet someone who is facing death. That story reminds me of some words that Jesus said. If you have your Bibles, I would ask you to open them to the Gospel of John. Again, New Testament, right side of your Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The 14th chapter. Probably not verses for many of you that are new, but verses that are applicable when we talk about death. But before we go there, in John 14th chapter, before we look at it, let me lead us in prayer. Would you bow with me? Oh, Father, You've heard the prayers of Tim, of praise and honor. You've listened to us sing. You've heard the cries of our heart as we've said these words in, to melody and to harmony and to tunes. But God, as we think about heaven, a very serious subject. I just ask you to speak to us. So many people, how in the world, how in the world could my words be applicable to everybody? But God, you can speak to each one of us. Speak to us about heaven today. Speak to us because Jesus talked about it. And we need to know about it. We ask these things because He is our Lord. Amen. John 14th chapter, let's look at verse 1. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my Father's home. And I would recommend if you mark in your Bible, you underline the rest of verse 2. Because that's the important part of the first few verses of John 14. Jesus says, if this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? Now let me stop for a minute. Because it's most likely there's people here whom Jesus is not Lord of your life. And the reason He's not Lord of your life is because you simply don't trust Him. And the reason you don't trust Him is because you don't know Him. Last week we had a person come who's never been to Connection and told me quite frankly at the very beginning for worship. I'm just not into this religious stuff. I don't know if I can believe it. And with all the compassion and the tenderness I could offer, I said, hey, I can understand. And I appreciate your honesty. And it's a journey. And I just thank you for giving connection today, which would have been last Sunday, an opportunity to speak on that journey for you. You see... How, how can that person trust my words? That person didn't know me. How can you trust me? 
You don't know me unless you get to know me. Unless you, 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 you watch me and evaluate Lars and my relationship. Whether, whether you could get to know my children. Whether you could see what I do with my money. Whether, whether you could see what I do with my time and my energy. See, how can you trust me? And you don't trust people you don't know. And some of us don't trust people we do know. And some of us can't trust Jesus because we don't know Him. And so with that person, I said, do you have a Bible? No. I said, I can get you one. Because I'd recommend that you meet the character Jesus in the Gospel of John. Don't worry about reading all the other stuff. Don't worry about the supernatural stuff. Don't worry about some of the questions are asked. Just meet Jesus. He said something in regards to the Bible. He said, hey, I'm sorry. I presume too much. I shouldn't even have said I could get you a Bible. If you don't want a Bible, that's okay. But I said, I would encourage you to meet Jesus. Because you're going to meet a man that you wish you could be like. You're going to meet a man you wished your mate or your children would be like. You're going to meet a man you wished the people of this world was like. If you look at Jesus and don't get lost on the side streets that so often churches take us. Before that day was over, that man came to me and said, would you give me that Bible? Look, Jesus makes a statement at the last part of verse 2. If this were not so, talking about the Father's home. Talking about in verse 1, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust God. Trust also in me. Jesus puts His character on the line. If this were not so, and He's talking about heaven, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Look at verse 3. And when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always, always be with me where I am. If heaven is not a real place, folks, Jesus is a liar. And if Jesus is a liar, He's not a good man. And if He's not a good man, sinless, He can't die on the cross for my sins. You see, you've got to know Jesus before you can even begin to trust Him. And you can only get to know Him by reading the biographies. You, you see, they didn't even call these books the Gospels years ago. They were called the biographies of Jesus. And if you, go, if you go into a theological training, a good professor will tell you these are the biographies of Jesus. It's just that we've called them the Gospels. You've got to get to know Jesus. And because heaven is a very serious subject, if you have your worship handout, it says I'm going to do five sermons on it. Because one sermon, there's just not enough time. 
Next week, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about heaven is made for us. And in the 27th, they're going to talk about who will be in heaven and what will we do. And in the last two sermons, I'm just going to answer questions that, that, that people have asked me over 40 years about heaven. And there's no way to answer all the questions. So I'm going to try to pick some of the interesting ones and some of the very important ones. Because there are questions probably some of you have asked. Look on the screen. Look at this next screen. Jesus spoke many great and truthful words. Jesus said, don't murder. Don't murder. I watched the movie 12 Years a Slave this week with Laura. I just bawled. I said, I hate sin. I want to apologize to every African American for what people of my color skin did. I just cried. Laura cried. They just murdered people. Jesus said, don't murder. Don't you wish, don't you wish Israel wasn't bombing Gaza? And Gaza wasn't bombing Israel? Forget your theology. Jesus said, don't murder. Wouldn't you love to live in a society where you don't have to carry a concealed weapon? You don't have to lock your door? Jesus said, don't murder. Jesus said, don't hate. Wouldn't you love it that you didn't hate your uncle or your brother or your sister or your mom or your dad or or whoever in your family or somebody not in your family? Don't you wish that it was possible? Jesus said, don't commit adultery. Some of you are still upset at your ex because your ex committed adultery. Don't you wish people didn't commit adultery? Somebody's saying, oh, that's just wishful thinking. I'm going to talk about wishful thinking a little bit. Jesus said, tell the truth. Now, I'm going to tell you, if Jesus, if heaven isn't real, Jesus is not telling the truth. How do you evaluate whether you can trust someone? You've got to look at their words and listen, and you've got to look at their lives. Now, Jesus is the only perfect person. I'm not perfect. Peter Marshall wasn't perfect, and you're not perfect. And sometimes we blow it. But I'm going to tell you, somebody who follows Jesus is going to make amends. They're going to say, I'm sorry I blew it. I'm sorry, Laura. I'm sorry, my four kids. I'm sorry to you, see? Tell the truth. Jesus said, don't be consumed with lust for sex. Look at the next screen. Jesus said, forgive others. Jesus said, help others. Jesus said, don't be consumed with worry. Man, wouldn't that be great? Jesus says, be understanding toward each other. Jesus said, honor your family members. You see... Jesus said some very important things that would revolutionize our society. But society's not going to listen to Him, so I'm going to say this. Jesus said some very important things that would revolutionize your life. Hence, when He changes you, when transformation comes into your life, amazing things begin to happen in your marriage and in your family. We want the amazing things before we allow the transformation. We've got to accept Jesus' words. If people had lived by these ten things alone, life would be so, so much different for all of us. If you got your worship hand out, look at the first blank. Fill in that blank so you, later this week, maybe you'll read the Scriptures. 
And they'll speak to you. The man who spoke these great words, these ten statements, and I have them listed on your worship handout, also told us about heaven. In verse 2, where you underline, now I'm paraphrasing, he says, he said, listen, if heaven were not so, I would have told you plainly it doesn't exist. So when you say, when somebody here says, I don't want to believe in heaven or hell, Somebody on this film, this video said, I think you decide. You and I get caught up with that. But you can't deny Jesus. Now, see, some of you haven't investigated enough. Whenever I was in the university, 60s, and then into the 70s, people were saying Jesus didn't exist. Not enough proof. Today, in some of our school systems, the books will say Jesus existed. And the reason they do that, now not all of them do that, but the reason they do that is because the same way you know characters of antiquity existed, and you use that to teach kids in our public school system and in our colleges and universities, there's more evidence for Jesus' existence. And so now, any educated person doesn't say Jesus doesn't exist, except for a person who doesn't want to change and so they don't want to recognize the reality of who He is. Jesus said, if it were not so, if heaven, if there wasn't a place in my Father's house for you, if there wasn't a place that I'm preparing, I wouldn't be telling you this. My character is on the line, Jesus is saying. Who I am is on the line. And so the Bible speaks about heaven. And because heaven is a serious subject, we are to have an interest in heaven. We are to want to know what the Bible says about heaven. So in this first sermon, real quick, let me share with you what the Bible says about heaven. Look on the screen, Philippians, the third chapter, 20th verse. And you can, put, you can fill in your blank. Our citizenship is in heaven. That's what the Bible says. Matter of fact, this is what Philippians 3.20 says. But we are citizens of heaven. Now this isn't Jesus speaking, this is Paul. Paul who saw the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul who spoke to the men. Now listen to me. Who were there that day when Jesus spoke the words of John 14? But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. Now, in their day, and it was controlled by Rome, every Roman citizen, it was expected that they would respect their country, their citizen, where their citizenship was. And so, what Paul is saying, we are citizens of heaven, we are to promote the goodness of heaven. That's what we're to do. Now, now stop and think about that. I'm going to use Mount Vernon, but whatever city you may live in, I'm a citizen of Mount Vernon. You would hear me very seldom speak a long negative toward any Mount Vernon official or any Mount Vernon event. Would I have an opinion sometimes? I don't think maybe that's a right thing to do or that. Sure. But you see, I want to promote where I, my citizenship is. 
Stop and think what this, this city would be like or if you live in Blueford or, or wherever you live, Wayne City. Stop and think if everybody's always knocking the city that their citizenship is in. That's where they live. Pretty soon everybody thinks bad about that place. And that's what Americans are doing about America. And so in the spiritual sense, Paul is saying our citizenship is in heaven where Jesus Christ lives. And he's talking to people who Jesus loves. We ought to promote heaven. We ought to talk to our children about heaven. Stop and think the last time. Well, I don't want to talk about heaven. I don't want to talk about death. And the world makes it out all we talk about is hell. Look on the screens. Look, Luke. Look at the next one. Luke 10, 20. You can look it up later. It says our names are written in heaven. It says rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. You see, we are to be happy. We are to be excited that God has our names in heaven. When we sang that last song, I'm, I'm crying. I'm crying because my name is in heaven. God knows me. I'm not insignificant. And you're not either. And in Christ Jesus, God knows you. And so what are we to do? Luke. Luke who never walked with Jesus. Never talked with Jesus. Luke who walked with the people who walked with Jesus. Who talked to the people who talked to Jesus. Luke writes... What he learned from what they shared about Jesus. We are to be excited and happy about heaven. We shouldn't be afraid to talk about it. Look on the screen, Matthew 6.20. Matthew writes, our treasures are in heaven. Store up your treasure in heaven. Store up your treasure in heaven. In other words, we all have treasures. Might be your mate. <laughs> Is it your mate? What do you teach your mate most about? Do you teach your mate most about pleasure, about movies, about music, about instruments, about sermons? Do you teach your mate most about sports? Or are you talking to your mate about what God wants? Are your children your treasures? I die for my kids, somebody says. What are you teaching your kids about? Be honest. Are you talking to them about pleasure? Are you talking to them about cars? Are you talking to them about education? Are you talking to them about sports? You see, we all have treasures. And in talking about heaven, Matthew who talked with Jesus, who walked with Jesus, our treasures are to be in heaven. In other words, God knows what we do to honor Him. And that becomes our treasure. We think treasure is just money. It's our lives. It's the actions. It's the words that we speak. And we are to consider that. If if your child is your treasure, you try to, to help your child learn about life, I'm assuming. And you try to do it in a tactful way if you're a good parent. Well, if, if God and the relationship with God is your treasure, 
then you're trying to teach your child in a tactful way about heaven. And some of our children growing up, they don't know anything about heaven. They don't know much about God. Because mom and dad's treasures are somewhere else. And you know what? Your treasures are messing your family up. Your treasure is messing your family up. Or it is building them up. We just got to be honest. And so Matthew says, hey, I learned from Jesus that our treasures are to be in heaven. I need to stop and think, what am I doing for God that is a treasure in heaven? Look at John 14.3. We read it before. Our eternal home is in heaven. Jesus said, when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Our eternal home is in heaven. Jesus says, I'm going to come and get you. I'm going to take you to be there. And you're always going to be there. It's not, it's not just for a few years. It's for eternity. Tim talked about the animals and, and the birds and the grass. I've already told you. The Bible says, God said, let us. That's the Godhead. We always think of God as singular. The Bible always speaks of God in the plural. The Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. For all eternity before we are even created, this earth is created, before the universe in existence, the Godhead exists. God exists. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus talked about how they honored each other. They're always in unity. There's always love. And so what do they do? The Father says, or the God says, so the Father, the Son, the Spirit says, let us create a special creation in our image. And so what do they do before they created us? And in the image of God is, I am to learn to love. I am to learn to create unity. It's easy to create discord and say bad things. It's another thing to bite your tongue or to say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Some of you have grown old and all you do is knock. Some of you haven't even grown and all you do is knock. So God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit says, let's create the nursery for our children. Just like you would for yours. And so they created that environment just like you would. I remember Laura and I, first baby, we live in a, a three-room apartment, a living room, one bedroom, and a kitchen. And we're going to have Misty. So what do we do? We, we do what you all would do. We buy two pieces of paneling so that she couldn't see us when we're intimate. And put a bed in there. But you know what? When you walk around that paneling, I mean, Laura should have sent that idea off to... When we, we made jokes about it to some magazines. And when Rachel came along, Misty had a room, John had a room, and we didn't have a room for a baby. And so we buy two pieces of family and in our bedroom so she can't see us. And it looks better than the first one. But you see, we created an environment. And for Misty it was, and for Rachel, it was a beautiful environment. And we buy those nice mobiles that, that sing and then quit working after three months. But, but we buy those nice mobiles and we'd watch her in bed and she'd... My neck hurt. No. She, you know what God did? 
The mobiles are the birds. And I'm telling you, before sin, it was the grizzly bear that would come up to us and we could pet the... Could you imagine fishing with a grizzly bear and he's not looking for you? Could you imagine? See, God created us all for us. This is our nursery. And then sin came. Spoiled it. So what is Jesus trying to get across to us? Listen, you have an eternal home. The original purpose, the Father hasn't forgotten His people. The Son hasn't forgotten His people. The Holy Spirit. Or I could say God, but you only think of Him in the singular. The Bible speaks of Him in the plural. God has not forgotten His people. And there's going to come a day, Jesus said, Jesus, the only perfect man who died for my sins, said, when everything is ready, I want you to know my character's on the line here. And those guys knew Him. Those gals knew Him. He says, I'm going to come and get you. That's why. That's why, listen, every one of them but John died a martyr's death. They were willing to suffer pain because they would not renounce Christ. And many of those early followers went through that experience. We can read their stories of antiquity. Because they knew there's an eternal home. Heaven, for those who know Christ as Lord. Look at Isaiah 63. The Old Testament, before Jesus, God said this, the place of God is in heaven. Isaiah 63.15 says, Lord, look down from heaven. Look from your holy, glorious home and see us. The Bible is telling us, heaven is God's dwelling place. Now, I can't understand everything about it. I'll share some more insight from the Scriptures in the next few sermons. But the Bible is saying heaven is God's dwelling place. When, when, when God created the Garden of Eden, when God came, all the earth was the Garden of Eden basically, but when God came, He walked with them in that Garden of Eden. He dwelt with them in the Garden of Eden. They talked. I can't even imagine that. Not, not the way they had it. I imagine it through prayer and meditation. Heaven's going to be where we relate to the Godhead. Heaven is God's dwelling place. Heaven is the hope of the Christian message, folks. Heaven is the purpose for telling the Christian message. I'm going to tell you, keep the Christian message quiet and we don't talk about heaven much anymore. You go to funerals. No Christian message. Not much about heaven. You see... The hope of the Christian message is heaven. Not because I make it that way. It's because Jesus said, look at the next blank on your worship handout, heaven is a real place. That's what He said in the second chapter. He called heaven a place. It is a real place. You underline that. That's why I told you to underline it. So when you read that part of the Scriptures, you'll remember what that's all about. That Jesus says, my character says, heaven is real. And it's a place. You see, some say this. Look on the screen. Heaven is a state of mind. 
That's what heaven is. I mean, come on. If you're a young person, you've heard some of these things. Ah, wouldn't make any difference if you're young. If you're old, you've heard these things. Some say heaven's just an idea. Heaven is wishful thinking. Heaven is a dream. Heaven is make-believe. And yet, we're told that the Bible says in Acts 1.9-11 that Jesus went was taken into heaven. Now, now understand this. Because, see, you, you, you've not met Jesus. You've not investigated the Bible. Somebody told you it's a myth. Now listen. Of all human writings in antiquity, the Gospels have twenty-five to 30,000 manuscript evidence Closer to the time period than any other writing of human record. The closest one, the closest one, comes out of the Greek mythology time. And it only has 600 and some. 600 and some? It's 25,000? See, you don't know those things. And so you say, I don't know if I can believe the Bible. In Acts 1.9, it says Jesus was taken up to heaven. It doesn't say Jesus was taken up to a state of mind. It doesn't say Jesus was taken up to an idea. It doesn't say Jesus was taken up to wishful thinking. It doesn't say Jesus was taken up to a dream. It doesn't say Jesus was taken up to make-believe. No, it says Jesus went to a real place. See, when you say you won't believe in it, or somebody tells you that, it's because they don't know Jesus. Because Jesus spoke truth. And you don't know whether to believe me unless you meet the character of Jesus. Just because some preacher tells you something doesn't mean it's truth. Jesus never taught us to say, Our Father in a state of mind. Remember the disciples said, would you teach us to pray, Jesus? Jesus never said, our Father who is an idea. Jesus never said, our Father who is wishful thinking. You know, that's what people say today. This religious stuff is just wishful thinking. People are not dealing with the reality of life. Jesus never taught us to say, our Father who is wishful thinking. Our Father who is a dream. Our Father is make-believe. No, Jesus, this is what Jesus said. They said, teach us to pray. So He says, okay. Our Father in heaven you see Jesus whenever I ask you what's it like to die or in that video and somebody says nobody knows how do they know and if you caught it there at the end I said hey does anyone know and Jesus knows. And He tells us heaven is a real place. And He taught us to speak about heaven in a real place. And if, if you just run it through some commentary or Scripture program, you'll find out based upon what translation you run through, heaven is brought up six to seven hundred times in the Bible. The book of Revelation itself, it comes up forty to fifty times. Heaven is a real place. Jesus taught us about heaven because He knew it was real. 
And it was prepared for those who know Jesus Christ as Lord. And I talk about it because I want you to experience it. I want you to to know the reality of heaven. But to get to know the reality of heaven, I believe you have to get to know the character of Jesus. The only thing that separates us from heaven, the Bible says, is death. And death has scared mankind, men and women and boys and girls, for years. That's why when Paul talked about Jesus, he says the sting of death is gone if you hear the words of Jesus. You see, some who we love, they've gone on. My mother and father have gone on. Not because that's hopeful thinking, wishful thinking, an idea I have, because they both talked with me about their relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, they've gone on. They're experiencing the heavenly home now. They know what it's like. And folks, the Bible tells us that's the reason we don't mourn over the death of our loved ones who know the Lord because we know the hope that's ours and theirs in Christ Jesus. Look at this last Scripture I got on the screen. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 It says, "Now And now, dear children, or dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen look what he says, to the believers who have died so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. If my wife died, I'd cry. But I wouldn't cry in hopelessness. My children and I have talked about death with my wife. And we talked about it with no sense of hopelessness. You see, that's what people who get to know Jesus I mean, really get to know Jesus. I mean, they really, really begin walking with Jesus. That's what they come to understand. That there is a hope after death. And it's called heaven. And it's what the Father intends for those who know Jesus Christ as Lord. The loved ones who know Jesus Christ as Lord are in heaven. Of course, that leads to the question, not going to answer today. How can I be in heaven and my loved ones are not there and be happy? You've got to come to the fifth sermon. What is it like to die? I'm going to tell you what it's like. You may die with a lot of pain. You may die with a little pain. My oldest brother, 20 years older than me, died. He went into his wife went to teach a Bible study, and he went in the bathroom, and he died on the commode. Massive coronary. Tremendous way to die. 
No pain. You may die with no pain. You may die with a lot of pain. But when death comes, if Christ is Lord of your life, the Father will take His power and move you from this room of earth to His room in heaven. That is the promise of God the Son. That is the promise of the Godhead. And so, the question is going to be at the end of these sermons. Is Jesus Christ Lord of your life? Do you follow Him? And you know if you follow Him. Because we tend to find ourselves where the person we follow would be at. Do you follow Him? We know we follow Him. Because we tend to do what the person we follow say. Some of you have heard me tell this story before. I used to coach, be the head coach, when all my kids played ball. I mean, Lauren knows absolutely nothing about sports. And yet, whenever my youngest son, or I may think my youngest daughter wanted to play ball, there was no t-ball coach, and Lauren said, I'll coach. I said, I'll help you. But I've got older kids I'm coaching. And, uh, and so she was a head coach because you can always get people to say, I help, but you can't get people to be head coaches. Well, when my kids moved along, I coached a little bit longer as head coach, and then eventually I just told head coaches I would help them. And so I helped my worship leader because his boy was in that age, and he was the head coach. And I remember we had a practice, and uh, a doctor's wife brought her two sons, and and the one I'm going to talk about, his name was Michael, and, and uh, they came a little bit late to practice. And then they come running out on the field, and, and I said, I mean, I said just like this, hey, Michael, where's your glove? Oh, I forgot it. I said, Michael, when we play baseball, you need to bring your glove. Here, use mine. Just like that. <laughs> After practice, my worship leader, head coach, said to me, she came to him and said, that coach is rather intense, isn't he? <laughs> you see, we tend to follow. An athlete tends to follow a coach that they respect the character of who seems to know what they're talking and doing. <laughs> and you need to get to know Jesus. Are you a follower of Jesus? If you are, heaven is your home. And when death comes, what will it be like? God will take you from this experience on earth into His experience into heaven. And we'll learn more about that in the next couple of sermons. If you are not a follower of Jesus, God never made it difficult. You just need to turn to Him. Tell him you're sorry for living life your way. Tell him you're sorry for you being the boss. Tell him you're sorry for you being God of your life. See, that's called repentance. Tell him that you believe what you've heard about Jesus, that He died on the cross for your sins. You can't understand it all. I don't even understand all that. I just know the Bible tells me. Jesus Himself taught it. 
My sins are gone. The early followers of Jesus writes in the latter parts of the New Testament that that sacrifice was paid and it was paid for my sin of all times. And you just turn to Him and tell Him you believe by faith that Jesus died on the cross for you. And you want to begin following Him as Lord. And you follow Him. And it's a journey. When you start, you're immature. You'll struggle with it. But if you continue, you'll begin finding the strength and the knowledge. Because you see, the Godhead, God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, will begin working in your life. And the Bible teaches, transformation will come. You will slowly change. And someday, you'll be sharing the Christian message and you'll find yourself talking about heaven. It's your home. Let's bow together for prayer and then we're finished when I finish praying. Father, I thank You for Jesus, for His words. I thank You for stepping out of heaven, God, and coming and be with us. I thank You that, that so much of what we can learn comes right out of your mouth as the person of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Help us. Help us to realize there's not another book, whether it talks about finances or how to do something, that is as important as your word, the Bible. Help us, God. Help us that we'd be people that would read the biographies of Jesus. And we'd really get to know the character of Jesus. Help us, God. On this journey for the next four weeks. To get some understanding about heaven. Help us to know these things so that it builds our confidence of what You have prepared for us. God, we ask You to do this because we need Your help with the subject of heaven. We ask these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.